Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Redefining Security podcast. Have you ever thought that we are selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Perhaps we are. So let's look at how we can organize a successful InfoSec program that integrates people, process, technology, and culture to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. iTrust is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at HighTrustAlliance.net. Purpose-built for securing Active Directory, Semperis delivers first-of-its-kind solutions to address the entire life cycle of a directory attack. Finding and fixing security vulnerabilities, intercepting privilege escalation and persistence, and quickly responding to cyber attacks. Learn more at Simparis.com. Hello, everyone. This is Sean Martin, and we are redefining security. And more specifically, we're looking at uh, redefining the relationship uh, with different functions within the organization and the security team, and uh, we're going to dig deep into the role of general counsel. That could be inside or outside counsel. We'll we'll see where things take us uh, during this conversation, and we're going to look at that role in connection to incident response, so a particular part of an information security program, the response piece, and I can already envision what you're thinking about as you're listening to me introduce this. but I think we're gonna we're gonna change some of your minds here with where things fit and line up and and probably land when you think about your security program and uh, incident response plan. So if it was just me talking, uh, you'd get very bored. So I have two amazing folks joining me today. Uh, had both of them on the show before, actually, and, and Cody's been on many times. Uh, Cody Wamsley and James Yarnell. Thanks so much for being part of this. Yeah, thank you, Sean. All right, quick word from each of you so folks know who they're hearing from. Cody, uh, kick it off with you. Hello, everyone. My name is Cody Wamsley, and I am uh, an attorney that has been practicing in the cybersecurity and privacy space for um, probably almost a decade now, at least exclusively. And um, I was a patent attorney before that. So I've got a lot of good stories, hopefully, that I can uh, share with everybody today. We want the nitty-gritty, Cody, the nitty-gritty, down and dirty. All right, James. Hi, everyone. I'm James Arnold. I, I work uh, primarily in defensive security operations, currently based in the metro D.C. area today. Um, also work as a cybersecurity adjunct, so spreading the good word of cybersecurity to professionals, students, uh, and anybody and everybody who will uh, give me an opportunity. But happy to be here, Sean. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So, what I want to do, maybe 
both of your perspectives to kind of kick this off. Do security teams think about legal and general counsel, <clears throat> general counsel more specifically, as they're putting their incident response plans together? Or is this a role that tends to find its way in the mix uh, after something bad has happened? Cody? I, I've actually seen an interesting divergence in incident response plans. Um, a lot of companies that I've worked with actually have two incident response plans. They have a security incident response plan and they have a privacy incident response plan. For the privacy incident response plan, yes, the general counsel is definitely involved, usually the, the one leading the charge because that has a lot of legal focus when you're dealing with the definition of personal information and how you're going to handle things, whether or not you're going to notify all of that. The security incident response plan is usually the plan that has the more um, technical, tactical sorts of what do you do with a malware intrusion? What do you do with, um, you know, ransomware, whatever it is, there, there, it, there's going to be more um, detailed playbooks in that. And what I've seen with a lot of companies is oftentimes that plan is developed completely independently of general counsel, of legal. There's no input um, on that. And there's actually a lot of overlap, a lot of crossover, a lot of uh, conflict between a security incident response plan and a privacy incident response plan. Now, I'm not saying every company does this, but I've, I've seen it enough to be able to say comfortably that this is something that, that I, I think is at least semi-commonplace amongst uh, a variety of different types of organizations out there. Yeah, and, and I'm going to stick with you, Cody, for one more second, because I, I want, and then James, I'll bring it to you. I, I suspect there's also other incident response plans that are not privacy or IT related. Uh, what about physical? <laughs> yeah. So stuff? there's operational um, sorts of, I, I don't, I, they're called different things at different organizations, but things that bring down operations, you might think of it sort of like a business continuity uh, sort of plan. Uh, these could also include things like um, crisis communications where you've got, uh, I don't know, something blows up on social media from a PR perspective, or you've got an executive that has said something they shouldn't have said, or uh, who knows, you know, there's a variety of other types of things that might fall into that category. And legal is usually definitely involved in uh, at least part of those um, plans. But again, like if you're talking about like a physical security incident, maybe, maybe not, because those might be part of an incident response plan. Those might fall into a different category that every organization that I've worked with kind of treats all this a little bit differently. It's been my sort of focus to try when I, when I go into an organization like that uh, to try to synthesize and to harmonize all these different plans so that they're not conflicting with each other and to make sure that, you know, legal has, uh, at least visibility into into what all is going on, but I, I think it's more important, you know, if I can if I can get them there to uh, help help the organizations understand that uh, legal does have uh, a lot to offer, and it's actually in the organization's best interest to really get them involved early on uh, in the development of the plan, not just in the execution of the plan, but um, you know, to help figure out where things should happen, what order, what sequence, all of that uh, sort of stuff. I think is uh, is important. Yeah, and James, your input on this. Yeah, so so Cody, you make a, a lot of really good points. Uh, there's a very big difference between a privacy incident, a security incident, or any other type of incident, 
And, um, you know, I couldn't have said it much better myself because there are implications, implement implications of a privacy incident that you just may not have as part of a security incident. When you think of things like third or fourth party vendor incidents that maybe have no impact to your organization from a, from an, an environment perspective where there's no ability for the attack or the, or the ransomware malware, whatever the case may be to propagate to your environment. But there was some kind of impact to data um, you, you know, that's a clear, that's a clear distinction between there being a security incident or there being a privacy privacy incident. So I couldn't agree with you more there. My personal take on, on involving legal has been, uh, to do it early and often, right? We, we partner, uh, very closely and, and most of the organizations I've worked in with our legal, with our legal partners to ensure that they are aware of our processes, we are aware of theirs, and then we have those those touch points where need be. If if we do find ourselves in a position where we're responding to an incident or we have some sort of data breach, whether it's you know an insider threat related data breach where data is being ex- exfiltrated from the environment, or there's an external threat actor attempting to do you know bad things. So we, you know, I'm I'm of the mindset that uh, legal is one of the key people you have at the table for a number of different reasons, but primarily just to make sure that we are all on the same page as it as it relates to next steps and and the implications of what is what is happening to the organization. It's like you said, it's better to bring 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 legal into the fold early versus during or after the fact when it's uh, when it could be chaos. And I think the the best example of why you'd want to bring them in early is to make sure that attorney client privilege attaches as early as possible, because I've seen, I don't know how many times in a lot of different incidents where you've got the technical team, you know, scrambling to figure out what's going on. And they may even be um, getting towards root cause. And maybe it was like something as simple as a patch management failure where they didn't apply a patch when they were supposed to. And then all of a sudden you've got an email chain where they're like, oh, you know, Bill, he was supposed to apply that patch. I told him to do it three months ago and he didn't do it. Well, now you got it in writing and it's not privileged. <laughs> and so that's something that's discoverable uh, in the event of a lawsuit or um, some sort of investigation that might come um, down the road. And so that's why we've always advocated um, to bring lawyers in as early as possible to try to get attorney-client privilege attached so that in the event you're talking about things like what happened, who's at fault, these kinds of things that might slip out, you, you at least have an argument that that's not something that should be discoverable in um, resulting litigation. So talk to me a bit about this idea, because an incident in my mind is the realization of risk, right? So something weak was exploited or something bad that could have happened happened uh is it just the the plan for the response that that gc is involved in or do they actually get involved in some of the risk analysis and risk planning and and some of the business continuity plans as well kind of leading up to uh, protecting against or preventing the incident from occurring in the first place james well, I think, you know, what we've seen lately, um, especially with the recent um, executive order from the White House and just how much attention a lot of things, more specifically ransomware, has um, has gotten in people's minds lately. Um, it, it's important to not just engage legal or, or whatever business unit it may be when you have an incident, but to, to walk through the paces with them, right? To, to 
establish that level of understanding on both sides, right? It works well for me to understand what our limitations or expectations are from a legal perspective, just as it helps our legal partners understand, you know, the ins and outs or intricacies of, a, of an incident because it changes, it varies from incident to incident. So having, you know, uh, having that level of understanding on both sides and both preparing for and responding to uh, malicious activity uh, is, is, is tough to quantify, right? Like it, it's, it's um, you know, I personally make sure my teams have regular touch points with all of our stakeholders who are involved in our processes and legal is a big part of that because there's other things you have to think about outside of, um, you know, the, the legal specific pieces, right? When you talk about engaging external law enforcement, how do you do that? Um, how do you, how do you ensure that you're, you know, following the appropriate guidelines set forth? And, and it varies depending on what kind of organization you are, but I, I've been around the block a few times and I can tell you, it's never a bad time to have legal part of those conversations and, and part of that process. If you do have to engage law enforcement, if you do have to engage uh, a third party um, incident response vendor or, or some other kind of organization externally. So there's, again, there's really no bad time to do it, but we, you know, I, I stress the importance of regular touch points and, and walking through documentation to ensure everybody's on the same page as it relates to roles and responsibilities, both prior, during, and after an incident. Cody, uh, many times when I'm talking to CISOs and looking at, like in the, at the landscape of information security at a broader scale, I continue to see a challenge in connecting the dots between the technical elements of a security program to the value of IT operations for the business, right? So CISO speaking in business, being a student of the business, if you will. And and parallel to that, um, I've had personal experiences and, and I've heard many stories of legal not really understanding uh, the business and how things work in certain ways. And there might be language and clauses and other things placed in, in these documents, whether it's an agreement or a contract or whatever it is you're putting together that don't necessarily make sense in the context of what you're trying to accomplish. So how long question, how do we get legal on the same page of the security team, but also while struggling with how do we get the security team in line with what really matters for the business? So there's kind of a weird, weird mix there. Well, at the end of the day, and maybe this is the, the best place to start, the business is in the business of making money. The business uh, that you're supporting has an essential service or product that it's providing and a, an essential revenue stream. And that's what you're ultimately there to protect, right? And protecting that involves a variety of different um you know, elements. One would be obviously acquiring customers. Another would be preventing the company from getting sued, which would impact uh, revenue, preventing fines, you know, complying with law, all of that kind of stuff, making sure that the brand name is something that is um, respected and reputable. Because if you're a company that even though maybe you're not getting fined, you're getting breached all the time, <laughs> uh, nobody's going to want to do business with you. So all of that is, is really the essential, um, you know, the, the core piece of, of every function um, within a business. And when we're talking about 
uh, risk, which is I think is, is sort of what maybe the last question was and, and lawyers understanding of risk. In order to understand the risk, you have to understand the business and you have to understand every you know, piece of the uh, of, of the puzzle, as it were. And that includes um, information security risk. That includes um, privacy risk. That includes operational risk. That includes um, all of those other aspects that uh, you, you can't speak intelligently to if you don't understand the business and understand what could impact it. And so I, as we were talking um, a little bit earlier, I was thinking about, you know, how lawyers approach or, or should approach their understanding of risk. And when you're talking about a privacy incident specifically, um, one element that goes into a legal analysis of whether or not a, um, a privacy incident is something that needs to be notified, um, for example, sending out notifications to individuals or needs to be reported or anything like that, is whether or not there's a, uh, a reasonable risk of harm to individuals. And what does that mean? You've got to be able to understand what not only the risk is to your company, but the risk is to your customers. And so it it's actually a really involved process. It's and what separates a successful lawyer in this space from an unsuccessful one is one that can really understand the business all the way through understanding what the, uh, what the, what the company wants, but also what their customers want and what they're going to care about and be able to speak to that and be able to speak to a, a, a more global risk picture. Because at the end of the day for a lawyer, you've got to be able to provide advice to, uh, to the company to tell them what to do. And that advice needs to speak, spell out in many ways what the different risks are for the different options that they have. Obviously, you know, if the law says you must do this, well, that's going to be something you're going to say. But a lot of times um, it's not so clear cut. There's going to be uh, some choices that you can make, some analysis that you can do that uh, determines whether or not you should take one course of action versus another. And we mentioned contacting law enforcement. That's another big um, issue, whether or not you should do that. It's not, it's, it's not necessarily the case where you're going to contact law enforcement in, in every incident. In fact, you're probably not going to contact law enforcement in every incident. And when you do, you're opening up the business to a whole variety of other risks that were not even part of the security incident. Because if the, if you've reported something and now there's an investigation that law enforcement is going to launch into your company, that could start opening up all kinds of other things that you didn't even know about. <laughs> and so you have to, you have to have a really solid understanding of, uh, of the scope of every um, action that you're going to take. And, and I think it's, it's critically important to do that. And then I guess to the, to the other part of your question on uh, what can CISOs and security people do? I think it's sort of the same sort of thing. Everybody likes to, everybody's, in their own job because they're interested in what that specific job function is. So security is very interested in technical security. It's very interested in, you know, the hands-on keyboard kind of stuff. A lot of people are. Um, in the legal, we're interested in, you know, analyzing statutes and writing memos and, and you know, analyzing the law and, and running through all that. But we all have to work together and understand what each other's functions are. And again, going back to the very beginning of what I said, Everybody's got to understand what the business is really all about and and understand how their function supports that business. Yes, a thousand times yes. I mean, that 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 goes for not only the business, but every business partner that that you have from a security perspective, every business partner you have in an organization, if you don't understand what they're doing or how they're doing it, you can't protect it. You can't secure it. You, you can't do your job as a security professional. So I wholeheartedly agree, Cody. I mean, uh, understanding how the business makes money 
is extremely important to understand the importance and the, and the value of what you're doing as a security professional, right? That's one of the things I drive uh, across my teams, my leadership teams, and, and, and everybody I come in contact with is, do you understand how we make money? I know you understand how to protect a, a network or how to investigate um, uh, malicious activity or whatever the case may be, but um, understanding what the business does is extremely, extremely important. And that's why I think, you know, having a lot, a, a very good uh, bi-directional relationship with legal ties directly into that. Um, because again, once you find yourself in those positions, which I've, I've been in, in the past, um, knowing the, pe the people next to you on your left and on your right, understand your next steps, your process, how things should go and and also understanding that things may not go how they should go right they you know in our industry or, or in our profession you know as a security professional it could take a, a wide left at any time right and and i think it's important uh, you know to understand that and be flexible with your business partners whether it be legal hr i mean it just it matters so much to have everybody on your side and on the same page that it's, it's difficult to put into words just how important that is. But I encourage any and all security professionals, if you don't understand how your company makes money or how the business works or how your partner, your business partners operate the way they operate, it, it, you're, you're doing yourself, your team and your organization a disservice. You have, have to understand those things. I just wanted to, I, I just wanted to reinforce that Cody, because I think that's a great message. How do these conversations take place then? Because I, I can see a tremendous value of, of legal being involved in all this stuff, right? Cause they, they can bring a perspective of the business that the security team can probably relate to because legal's looking at the risk to the business and, and security teams understand that. Um, but hopefully the, C, the legal team understands the business as well and can help bridge that gap. So how do the, how do these conversations take place? Are they, project oriented where we're re we're defining our security program uh, for this year and the next three years, or we're defining our incident response plan, or is it once a month, there's a stand up meeting and, and I don't know who leads that meeting. Is it this, the security team? Is it the legal team? Is it a different business team that brings all these people? How, how do those conversations take place? Well, uh, uh, you know, I can speak for the security side, at least what I've done, and continue to do, which is, you know, if I have a group within the organization that's a part of my process in any way, shape, or form, we review that process with them uh, at least annually, if not more. It's usually more. But legal, legal is one of those teams, right? When, you know, having um, uh, your partners from legal involved in tabletop exercises so we can walk through the technical aspects of a response or an incident which generally you you want to focus that in its own kind of technical tabletop, right? And once you get to the broader kind of escalation, information exchange, you know, next steps as it relates to a major incident, um, that's when you have your your legal partners involved, right? Because doing that, you know, at least once or twice a year helps develop that muscle memory, so people know where to go, what to do, who to call. And, and also making sure the team has feedback, right? Has an opportunity to get feedback is another thing I highly encourage. You know, look through our process where it involves you. Do you agree? Do you disagree? Is there a better route we can take from your perspective and from your lens? Um, but, you know, what I've done uh, personally is I've, I've proactively gone out and done that, right? I, I go to 
my partners across the organization um, and, and specifically legal and introduce myself, introduce my team and our capabilities and then establish regular touch points from there. But I've been in organizations where it was the other way around, right? Where, um, you know, uh, certain folks from, depending on the size of the org organization, of course, um, you know, will proactively, have proactively reached out to the security team. And, and so, I mean, I think it goes both ways, but ha establishing a regular cadence of conversation, whether it be around tabletops, process reviews, whatever the case may be, you just, you can't go wrong. And a quick follow-up, James, before I pass it to Cody. Do you find there's an opportunity for legal to be a champion for information security? So as they're engaging with other departments, they can help bring some of the knowledge they have from your team and spread it. Okay, there's this business unit, there's this function. Here's the risk they're introducing to the business from an IT perspective. We know this from the security team as the plan we want to take forth to kind of mitigate some of those risks. They can help champion some of those things. Do you see some of that? Oh, absolutely. Um, absolutely. And it, and it starts with, with um, ensuring your partners, your, you know, your legal partners are equipped with that information to have those conversations, right? Um, any and all advocates from a security perspective that you can get, the better we all are, right? Because that sparks more conversation that leads to more integrations that, that, that it, it, it's more inclusive of the broader uh, organization. So uh, a thousand times, yes. If you have that very um, uh, succinct and, and comfortable conversation or relationship with partners in legal, uh, it, it's going to pay dividends in the end because they're going to talk to everybody else within the organization and continue to spread that word of security. And likewise, uh, on the security side, right? Working, working with our legal partners you know, understanding how they do some of the things they do, obviously to only a, a certain degree, right, to what we're exposed to, but we can also advocate for them when we see things in the in the in the environment that perhaps they're not aware of and should be aware of, and and that's happened several times uh, to me in my career where I've been in situations where I kind of raise my hand and say, hey, do do our friends in legal know about this? And and sometimes the answer has been no, and and so that's where I've had opportunities to kind of speak up and get them included never never speaking on their behalf of course um but um you know at least bridging that gap where we can yeah and cody back back to the the, the conversation thing and i want to look at this first uh, from your perspective left of incident right so all the planning and communications uh, leading well hopefully preventing the, an incident from occurring and then uh just before an incident occurs and you, you picked on email earlier, right? Teams communicating something happening uh, or before an incident, right? They didn't patch. An incident hasn't occurred yet, but they, there's a communication that they didn't patch yet. So how do teams or organizations at large kind of set themselves up to have those conversations, share that information, what tools do they use or whatever, so that they protect themselves as they're putting all this stuff together? Well, <clears throat> there's there's two general ways that I've seen. Either the uh, FTC is already investigating you and that's launching the uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> the conversation or um, or you've got uh, either a, a security team that, that's understanding the, the need to have legal involved early or a legal team that's saying, hey, we need to inject ourselves uh, here before things get out of hand because they've 
uh, seeing how things are going in other parts of the world or other industries or other companies or, or whatever. Um, how to initiate it is is kind of a an interesting question. I mean, it, it really depends from what I've seen in a lot of places. So let, let me take two examples here. The first would be a larger organization with a larger legal team. Um, a large organization with a large legal team, you're going to have a general counsel sitting at the top. And the general counsel's job is to understand every aspect of the business and to really be um, part of the executive team and to, to manage the global uh, enterprise risk. And then they delegate um, different portions of that down. But in a, in a big company like that, you're probably also going to have a chief risk officer. You're probably also going to have a chief financial officer. You're probably also going to have uh, a CISO. You know, all, all of those other, um, you know, positions are going to be sort of at that same level. And uh, they're going to have sort of regular uh interactions with each other and they're going to understand a little bit better of what each of their um, functions are. And so uh, an organization like that's probably going to have uh, a more um, long-term view and bigger picture view of, uh, of risk. Now, a smaller organization may run a little differently. Now, everything is, you know, er there, there's exceptions to everything, but just sort of as a general trend. Um, where maybe you don't have a, a large legal team and the general counsel is really having to do everything. And so their, their role is a lot more tactical um, rather than strategic for, for some companies where they're actually more directly involved in deals. They're, they're the ones that are, their time is really spent working on contracts and, um, and revenue generation rather than being able to step back and take that bigger picture uh, sort of strategic risk-based view of, of the whole organization. Um, and th those types of companies may not have a chief risk officer. They may not have a, a, you know, a CFO. They may not have people at that high level that whose job it is really is to, to look at, uh, at the overall picture. Um, aside from the CEO, there may not be anybody who's really looking at the entire organization. Um, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I just, this is something that I've seen where it's a lot more siloed in that aspect. And then in, in those circumstances, um, whoever it is, be it in the, because you may not even have a security team, then you may, it may just be an IT function, but somebody's got to sort of <laughs> take ownership and step up um, and, and step above their pay grade, step above uh, what their immediate tasks are and say, no, we need to step back and look at this. So like James was saying, you know, has legal even seen this? That The answer to a lot of those may be no, because, um, you know, in companies like that and in larger companies, because I've seen it, it it, it doesn't really matter the size of the company, but it's sort of a cultural sort of thing. Um, in in a lot of places, the the uh, the roles are so siloed that um, they they wouldn't have even thought to to bring in legal, or legal wouldn't have even thought to reach out to security and, and that sort of thing. And so, um, I think it's it's incumbent upon everybody who's touching. Um, information security risk and that would be um, legal that would be security that would be risk that would be, that would be finance um, that would be marketing that would be um, you know sales all of those uh, functions really are touching on it and and they may not realize it but it, it's it's important for all of them to sort of have an opportunity to step back and and realize where not only where they fit but um, what the other um, functions are doing so that they can work together and better see uh, how each of them play a part in information security. Yeah, and James, 
do you find that organizations set up special places for this information to be exchanged? Is there a legal platform that, that certain things land in or is legal just invited into the other uh, platforms that they use? Are they using SharePoint, Slack? I don't necessarily care about the names of the technologies, but or is it all just still through email? <laughs> and is there a problem with that? Uh, so um, I will always say, you know, there's a problem with managing anything through email um, that is uh, less than ideal in 99% in of, of situations. But I've seen it a couple of different ways, a shared, uh, a shared repository for documentation, whether it be through something like SharePoint or OneDrive or whatever the, 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 uh, the, the platform that the organization is using, but having some, some um, ability to securely share documentation um, absolutely. Um, you know, we've, you know, I've seen things uh, from separate, you know, group messaging channels, again, depending on the technology using Slack, um, HipChat, Teams, whatever the case may be. So there's an opportunity to create dedicated and and kind of limited in, in audience uh, communication channels between, uh, between the two parties. But, um, you know, unfortunately, a lot of it does take place over email. Uh, but that gives you an opportunity to to kind of establish, um, you know, the best path afterwards, right? Because unfortunately, most of the way we communicate in in the business world is email, right? Um, but having having the ability to securely share information um, is is easy, uh, quite frankly, um, and completely dependent on your platform. But that's what I've seen uh, be successful. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan of kind of the real-time communication or near real-time communication. So establishing secured communication channels through whatever collaboration and communication platform your organization is using. Um, because sometimes, you know, it's a quick two-minute conversation. Sometimes it's a several-hour meeting, right? And especially in, in, in the world we find ourselves in today, which is rapidly changing back to what we used to know, um, you know, that ability to communicate virtually through some kind of platform like that is is of utmost importance. But I've seen it work. It works very well, actually. And um, I do it with a lot of organizations, not just legal, but um, secure a secure platform that everybody can access and, and you can restrict based on role or 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 uh, or, or some other pr uh, parameter is usually the easiest way. The thing I'll say on those secure uh, document sharing platforms is um, invariably what I've seen is somebody that needs access doesn't have access and it takes time to provision an account for them. And so what are you going to do? You're going to email the document. <laughs> and so you've kind of defeated the, the point of the platform. I've seen that way too many times. Um, but yeah, I think uh, ideally that would be, um, that would be great. The one other um, aspect that I'll say, and you know, in my experience, good lawyers or experienced lawyers prefer the phone over anything else so that it's not in writing. Um, we don't, you know, it might sound ironic that lawyers don't actually want stuff in writing. We even though we write all the time, we, we'd actually prefer to have communications not be memorialized um, most of the time. And I think that, you know, maybe security teams, maybe a lot of these technical teams where they're just so used to doing everything on the computer, if they step back and pick up the phone that, that would that would create a lot um lighter weight record uh, <laughs> that would make the lawyers happy um in the in the end but anyway well talk talk to me as we wrap here um getting close to the end an incident happens 
right? So now we're in the midst of it. We're in the throes of, of a response. Uh, what's your advice for the the GC security relationship there, Cody? Is, is it all phone? Is it dedicated lines for that stuff? Because I know we years ago we've worked on, on some of this stuff in the past where you want certain people involved. You want others not involved. You, you want that communication protected, um, maybe memorialized, maybe not. So how do, how do organizations prepare for that in terms of uh, an operating environment that supports those requirements? Well, I, I mean, you're not going to be able to avoid putting everything in writing. I mean, usually, uh, you know, most of the incidents that I've seen probably come in through some sort of support ticket or something like that. And, and, and it might be through some IT ticket or somebody noticed something and, and there's just like a general way to report some, some anomalous behavior or something within an organization. And so there's going to be at least that initial communication, which is not coming from somebody in legal. It's not coming from necessarily even somebody in security. It might be coming from a help desk, uh, you know, IT sort of person, something like that. And, and especially in huge organizations, there's just, there's a, a uh, an established process in place um, for intake of that. But once you've got at least the initial understanding of what it is, you know, there's a triage step that that sort of needs to happen. And rather than running through, um, you know, the constant back and forth and writing notes and in, into a, a ticketing system and all that sort of thing, somebody should take maybe if, if it's looking like an incident, at least from my own experience, um, you know, picking up the phone um, to at least whoever it is uh, that you're, you're intending to escalate it to. I mean, in a big organization, you're not going to be calling legal immediately because legal is not going to be able to handle every single <laughs> incident that's coming in there. We got other stuff that we got to do. But I'm sure that, um, you know, that there <clears throat> would be people that would have the ability to at least triage it and recognize whether or not this is something that, that could turn into something. And there, and there needs to be a level of training, you know, at, at that at that initial um, you know, review step to, to make that determination before you start creating a, a big record and, and b making a big mess. I mean, there's a lot of incidents out there that never turn into anything and never are going to turn into anything from a legal perspective. Go ahead, you know, on, on those sorts of things, just handle it as best that you can. But um, it, there's, when there's a, a potential risk, um, I, it, it, in my experience, it's always better to pause just, just to, pause for a second <laughs> rather than running around with our hair on fire and figure out what's really happened, what the real risk is and, and do that. Because the worst thing that you can do, and I've seen it time and time again, is somebody flips out and has no idea what has happened. Their, their mind goes to the worst case scenario and they send out a notification to the customers <laughs> or they send out uh, or they call law enforcement or something like that. And so all of a sudden, something that probably was a one or a two out of 10 on severity jumps to a 10 because now you've got external parties that know about it and they never needed to because it really wasn't that big of a deal. But somebody who just wasn't trained um, in, in how to handle this calmly. Uh, has has blown it way out of proportion. And now we've got a big mess to try to walk that back. And it's a lot harder for a company to to try to say, oh, well, we didn't really need to tell you about that than um, to, to, you know, wait, you know, even a day <laughs> to to say, okay, here's what we found out. Here's, here's, uh, here's what's happening. I, I think um, in my experience, customers are a lot more uh, forgiving for 
minor delays than for uh, unnecessary notifications. Yeah, sounds like good advice for the security team to partner with the legal. And James, as a as a wrap here, I want to give you the final word. Some advice or an experience you had working with general counsel or the legal team that you could say, if you do this, we're going to have a great partnership, a great relationship. What would that be? Yeah, sure. So, so just to address a couple of the the, the quick things um, uh, from from Cody's remarks, that that's where the importance of establishing a a document, documenting, establishing and documenting a process, and and establishing those severity levels, because then that lets you differentiate between when do when do we run around with our hair on fire versus when it, when are things okay, right? So having a well documented um, uh, criteria for uh, severity of incidents. Is extremely extremely important, and and that's one of the pieces where you know the the the, te- the more technical um, information security folks have to kind of step out of their comfort zone, right? Because we're technical in nature; we write everything down. If it's not on paper or you know, in, in a word doc, it never happened, right? So um, so you know, having that ability to flex based on what's best for the situation um, is extremely important. But when it comes to ensuring there's a successful relationship between, you know, InfoSec and, and, and legal, establishing those expectations up front, communicating regularly, making sure that your partners understand, hey, when we reach a severity level two, you know, this is really bad. We're looking at potentially engaging our, our third party, uh, you know, vendor, or whatever the case may be, right? So having a very clear distinction between when people should be cons- really concerned versus, you know, this is an incident we see on a regular basis. Maybe somebody's violating a control or whatever the case may be, which is bad, but that's not, hey, let's call the FBI bad, right? So clearly documenting what you expect as a security professional out of your legal partners and getting alignment from them to ensure they agree and, and, you know, practicing that regularly. And, and when those things change, cause the threat landscape is ever changing as we're all aware, making sure that our partners in legal understand that, right? Like understand how the game has changed you know, lately with ransomware, right? If if you haven't had an opportunity to sit down and talk with your legal partners about the implications of ransomware, paying the ransom, not paying the ransom, just what it all involves, you need to, right? Like stop what you're doing and go do it now because although it's been an ever-present risk and problem for us in the security space, the fact that it's become more prevalent and it's it's we're seeing it almost daily, it you have to keep in mind as a security professional that everybody else doesn't see the world as you do. So you need to make sure that you're communicating when things like this really bubble up to, to a level of importance and, and just clear communication. I think as I ramble on and on, Sean, what it really boils down to is clear communication, set those expectations, communicate them, get agreement and practice. That's yeah. it. No, I love it. And, and my takeaway from all of this is, uh, and, I think you you kind of pointed pointed that out, James. That security teams are very technical and tactical, and that's kind of the world that the, the, these folks, including myself, live in. And we look at the risk in terms of the things we understand. And a risk in an incident may not just be the loss of of the data 
that requires a notification to a customer. It could be bigger than that, right? So how that risk is handled or that event is handled could become an even bigger risk as Cody pointed to as well. So it's not just an individual risk, not just a security risk. It's not just a business operations risk. It's a business risk that legal and security and ops and all the other folks need to be involved in. So hopefully folks uh, are thinking a little bit more about how legal is involved or not involved in their security program planning and incident response handling. And uh, Cody James, I want to thank you for helping us to redefine security and looking at this uh, this relationship. Thanks, Sean. Thank you both. It It was a pleasure. Purpose built for securing Active Directory, Semperis delivers first-of-its-kind solutions to address the entire life cycle of a directory attack, finding and fixing security vulnerabilities, intercepting privilege escalation and persistence, and quickly responding to cyber attacks. Learn more at Semperis.com. HITRUST is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at HITRUSTALLIANCE.net. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Security Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24.